Hello, my name is Nico Fuentes, and I will be having a conversation with Gogo Graham for the New York City Trans Oral History Project in collaboration with the New York Public Library's Community Oral History Project. This is an oral history project centered on the experience of trans-identifying people. It is May 10th, 2019, and this is being recorded in Crown Heights, Brooklyn. Hello, Gogo. So tell us where you're from. I am originally, I was born in San Jose, California. Um, and I moved to Pearland, Texas when I was young. Mm. And I grew up in Pearland, Texas, which is a suburb slash rural, like rural suburban area, 20 minutes south of Houston. Mm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Was it a big shift from your memory of San Jose to Pearland? Um, it was, but mostly just because of the weather, I think. Mm. Um it was we'd moved in the middle of summer in august um and it was right in the middle of a tropical storm that we arrived um and it was also a i guess it was like a shift culturally because there was so much centered around um christianity in Pearland and I think mm. in a lot of parts in Texas mm. um, and so oh and also we moved from a much smaller house into a much bigger house um, the cost of living in California is much more expensive than it is in Pearland mm. and in many most places in Texas right um, so that was like a huge shift to be going from this like smaller house into this bigger, much bigger house. Um, and also it was a big change because my stepfather and my mother wanted to move to Texas and my biological father, who is also in California, didn't was going to stay in California where his life was, um, and still is. And, um, so there was a turbulent, um, custody situation mm. with me, my sister and my mom and biological dad, mm. um, where there was like a lot of, um, court stuff going on that like I really didn't see a lot of um I, I remember having to speak to um therapists I guess who would end up giving their thoughts to the court right um talking about like my mom my relationship with my stepdad my relationship with my biological dad and so all of that leading up to moving was kind of, 
I remember that being more of a situation that was memorable than actually moving because I was kind of like not a very social person as a child. So I wasn't like afraid of losing my friends because I didn't really have very many. Mm. And the ones I did have, I think we just kind of like weren't that close. Right. I guess. So... Yeah, I I think the shift was mostly within, like, the family and stuff that was, like, big for me. Yeah. What's the age difference between you and your sister? Um, my sister is two and a half years older than me. Mm. And um, she... Oh, I also have a stepbrother who's nine years older than me. Right. And a stepsister who's, I think, 20 years older than me. Okay. Something like that. Did y'all all live together? Um, in Texas, my my brother moved as well, yeah. Um, and then he, he kind of came a little bit after, um, after I moved there with my parents mm. and my sister. Um... And then he moved out after a couple of years. And then my stepsister and niece and um, stepbrother-in-law, my, mm-hmm. my stepsister's husband, mm-hmm. moved in. Yeah. Um, and they were living with, with us throughout, like, my high school years. Or, like, it seemed like a big chunk of my adolescence and, like, all throughout high school. Yeah. Um, yeah, so I always had a lot of family around, but it was in, uh, Texas, it was mostly like only, I mean, it was like all my, my stepdad's like family. Mm. And then like in the Midwest, my mom's family. Mm. So, um, I didn't see much of my dad's family who a lot of them are based in California or in various parts of the East Coast. Yeah. Um, And I would go, like, there was, like, it was court-mandated that my sister and I had to go um, to visit my dad when we had um, time off from school and stuff. So that was kind of the only time where we would get to see my dad's family. Yeah. What What was your, what is your dad's family like? Um, so my dad is Japanese American and, um, he is, um, I, I believe second generation. Mm. My, my grandparents, I think were born right when my great grandparents moved to Seattle, Washington. Okay. Um, in uh, around like the turn of the century. Right. Um, and when my grandparents were young, um, they were relocated to the Minidoka um, internment camp. Oh wow. As um, as part of the 
you know, legislation that existed after the attacks on Pearl Harbor mm, mm-hmm. during World War Two. Yeah. Um, and afterwards, they moved to the East Coast mm. and um, started their family there. Mm. And my dad grew up with um, three other siblings. Yeah. And um, he, he, I think he met my mom on the East Coast. My mom was going, he was going to school and my mom was going to school, I think. And then they decided to move to California together. Yeah. To start their family. Yeah. Um, and they had my sister. And then they had me after. And then they divorced, like, when I was, I think, one year old. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, a lot of my... I think my dad, a lot of his friends moved to California. And, like, I think... I think his cousin was too, so like, and his brother, so like there was a bunch of people going to California. Yeah. Um, and then like my, my aunt lived there too when I remember like growing up she was there, so I, I saw a lot of my dad's family there, um, like during the holidays. Right. And, um. Was that enjoyable? It was, but I was like a a big brat mm. when I was a teen and like yeah a young kid, <laughs> um, and I just like had issues with my dad. Yeah. Um. So it kind of like I think got in the way of enjoying the rest of my family because right. I was so angry that I had to be spending time with my dad. Yeah. Um. And, um, but it was nice to be with, like, all of them and to be with my sister. Um. Yeah. So, yeah. So, Japanese-American family on your father's side. Mm-hmm. And your mother's side and stepfather's side. Um. Are... They're both white. I don't, I don't know what my mm. stepdad what his ancestry is like. My mom's um, half Sicilian Mm, mm -hmm. and half um, Scotch-Irish. Yeah. So, and like her, her family has been, I think kind of, they immigrated around the same time as my Maybe a little bit after mm. my dad's like family were around, so like early um, right. 20th century. Yeah, and um, it, they settled in like the settled. They <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they ended up in the Midwest somewhere. I I don't really know as much about my yeah. mom's side. Yeah. Um, And my mom grew up with um, 
three sisters and a brother. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I know that she moved to the East Coast for school. Yeah. And, um, and then, yeah, I met, met with my dad and, and then moved to California. Um, and I remember driving with my mom a lot to go up to like Missouri and yeah, Missouri and mm-hmm. I think Kansas too. Yeah. No, Kansas City. There's mm-hmm. Kansas City, Missouri, right? Yes, I believe so. Um, so like I have a, a bunch of my mom's family in Kansas, I mean in Missouri. Mm. And um, I remember visiting them with my mom on this like 16 hour drive a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, wow, 16 hours is a long time for a kid. Yeah. And then when I got older, I would switch driving with her, which like sucked. <laughs> But, um, I, I think like my mom was pretty, um, at least like flexible with like the music we could listen to. (laughs) So it wasn't like I had to listen to like only stuff she liked or whatever. Right. What did you listen to at the time? Um, well, okay. So I didn't, I wasn't. I don't think she was like into any of the like, <laughs> like Mudvayne and like Slipknot that I was <laughs> into at the time. So I, it was never like that, but um, like pop stuff as yeah. well, like Britney Spears mm-hmm. and like um, like Gwen Stefani. Yeah, and like. Um, A lot of, like, boy band stuff from, like, the late 90s, early 2000s. Yeah, like who? Like, Backstreet Boys and NSYNC. Okay. And, um, who else? Did you favor the pop stars more than you favored the the boy bands? Yeah. Yeah? I think I always have been really into, like, these, like, femme pop icons yeah um yeah and then I guess I wasn't really into music though Mm. for a big portion of my life like up until when um I think like up until high school Mm, really I only kind of listened to whatever I decided I was listening to but I wasn't like it didn't feel like I was seeking out music. It was like, we got a gift card for uh, Tower Records or something. Or like, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, or like, what were some of the other places? Um, there were like, you know, those electronic stores. Was Is Tower Records even a thing? Or is that like... I don't know. It's a movie. <laughs> <laughs> um, but there's like record stores. And I remember like people would give like gift cards like for that and I would pick the most random um like CDs yeah because my I wanted to get something and like 
my sister had this like taste in music mm. and I was like, I'm not getting what she's getting. Right. Um, and I would choose like weird, like soundtracks to movies that I'd never seen. Or, like, <laughs> uh, I don't know. I think I had like a couple of those, like now that's what I call music. Yeah. 18 or, like, <laughs> and under, I don't know. And it was like, yeah, I don't think my taste in music really developed until high school when my uh, sister and I, she would drive both of us to school. Oh. And um, I would listen to her CDs, which was like mostly like scene and like emo stuff. Mm-hmm. And um, that's, and I remember like getting really into like Taking Back Sunday. Yeah. And then like also that's when I, started listening to like Missy Elliott and um also who are some like Panic at the Disco yeah My Chemical Romance yeah um and then like also like Nelly yeah um and I think like after she went to college because she was out of high school two years before I was Mm -hmm. after that that's when I started to like look for my own mm. kind of like taste in music yeah um and that's when i was like also like starting to drive myself because that's like i was in 10th grade once yeah she was like right leaving so i was like 16 getting my license whatever mm-hmm. and could drive and like listen to my own music in the car mm-hmm. um and I started listening to, like, yeah, like, I don't know what, like, the genre is of, like, Slipknot and, like, Mudvayne and, like, Marilyn Manson and, um, but then also, like, kept listening to, like, Britney. Yeah. And, like, started getting into, like, Rihanna. Mm rihanna a lot Mm -hmm. i remember in high school i was listening to a lot of that yeah from like her like 2004 time or five or something when she was like sos and like (laughs) uh, yeah i loved her still do yeah um and like still was listening to like gwen yeah and then like later when i like was graduating i remember listening to like Kylie Minogue and Lady Gaga and like Christina Aguilera and like Janet Jackson Mm -hmm. and um so lots of femme pop icons mostly yeah were you stylistically in high school like influenced by the the media that you were consuming um not really we had a dress code in high school oh okay what was that like we had to wear slacks or and polos. So it could be like any color of those things, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, or maybe for the, the slacks, it had to be like khaki to like navy or black or white. Yeah. And that was like it. Yeah. How was that for you? Um... It was fine. I didn't really think a lot about, like, clothing and stuff. Mm, okay. Or if I did, it wasn't, like, as um, in the 
the front of my mind yeah. as it is like today. Yeah. Um, I was really just like, okay, I want to like feel okay in my clothes, but I'm not like stylistically like interested in like dressing myself. Interesting. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I, I had like very, well, maybe like towards the end of high school, I kind of had this look that was like more like seen, mm, like okay. I had like a swoop hair look that was like kind of Justin Bieber. Yeah. Kind of like whatever, any one of those yeah. like emo, like, ba- like band. Right musicians yeah and like um I didn't really like have accessories or anything mm. so it was really just like maybe more like those like Christian scene bands <laughs> you know where they just had like they, they kind of looked like that they had like slacks and a polo <laughs> and like you know what I mean like there wasn't stylistically like a lot going on right yeah um but that was like all from like fifth grade up until like I moved until when I was 18 when I moved to Austin to go to school oh where did you go to school in Austin um the University of Texas okay what was your major um I majored in um textiles and apparel Uh uh-huh um which was, like, originally not what I expected to be doing. Yeah. When I was in high school, I really thought I was going to go on this, like, medical field path. Mm. Um, I was, like, a secretary in um, this, like, health occupations um, organization. Oh, in high school. Yeah. And I thought, like, I was going to go and, like, be a doctor. Yeah. So I initially, initially, um, my major was, um, evolutionary biology. And I was, like, taking these, you know, like, science courses and stuff. And, like, chemistry and math and all this stuff that I really didn't need later on. Right. Um, but then weirdly... Um, textiles and apparel is is in the school of natural sciences which is the same school that um biology is right or is in i don't know if it's still that way but it was Uh back then and um the college of natural science whatever and um so a lot of my credits transferred over when i switched like halfway through school okay or like i want to say it was in like my third year or something uh-huh. is when I switched over. Uh-huh. So I was, I moved there. My first year I lived in a dorm. Uh-huh. Um, a bunch of my friends from high school moved to go to school too. Mm-hmm. But a lot of, uh, like half ended up going back home because they missed home too much yeah to Pearland yeah uh-huh and um I met some other people and like hung out with other people that like 
I wasn't really as close with in high school. Yeah. And then we became, like, closer. Yeah. Um, and let me think. When I was 19, I met my first boyfriend. <gasps> oh. Wait, so... Grew up in Pearland. You were in high school there, middle school and high school there. And you were you out? Were you identifying as queer or gay? Um, in high school, I, I came out when I was 16 as gay. Uh-huh. And I thought I was a gay man. Mm-hmm. And, um, I was out, but there wasn't, um, there weren't many out gay people in my high school. Right. Okay. And, um, I, I didn't really date in high school. Um, so the first boyfriend was like a really pivotal moment. Yeah, um, I think, like, I've always been interested in, like, dating, mm. um, and I, I guess, like, I'm, I have always been, like, really picky about who I date. Yeah. Because, I don't know why, but I just remember in high school that, like, the few times that I was, like, approached to to date someone I just like I declined yeah um, and I remember thinking like is it just like these are the only like gay people around and that's like why mm-hmm. we're all like asking each other to date or something because yeah. we don't really have anything in common and yeah. like we're like we're we don't talk really outside yeah. of like school and Mm. so like we don't I don't really feel like we have interests so it was like I didn't expect to date anyone right and um going to college I kind of I think like expected that I I might meet someone there because there there's just like I don't know like 40,000 people that go to school there and I would Mm. be not at home right right and like be more available to to date yeah um um, and I didn't really get to like spend a lot of time with um, like queer folks until I think like tenth grade. Mm, okay. Or not tenth grade. No. So like I came out. I had like a couple like gay friends, I guess. In high school. Yeah. Uh-huh. And then, like, it, no, it wasn't until I moved to Texas, and then that's when I started meeting, like, a lot of, like, queer people. Okay. Um, I joined this, um, this, like, LGBTQ sports oh, wow. thing. Yeah. In in college. Okay. It was like this organization called Flags. Uh-huh. What did that stand for? Um 
I don't even remember. Yeah. It's like, I think it was like something lesbian and gay sports. Yeah. Something. Yeah. Um, and, uh, oh, you know, that's not where, I, that's not how I met my boyfriend then. I met my boyfriend because I joined this, like, this social fraternity thing. Oh, wow. It was, like, this organization on campus uh-huh. where you, like, do events and stuff and, like, do things with, like, um, like queer folks. Yeah. And there was, like, other chapters, I guess. Yeah. Across the... Um, the country uh-huh. and um, it, it was mostly like a lot of like mixer things and like just like fun events and stuff it was like yeah. very like social whatever yeah um, and I my um, big brother in the in fraternity, the fraternity okay. um we ended up falling in love. Oh, wow. (laughs) And, um, yeah, so it, but that was, like, explicitly forbidden. (laughs) Like, like you can't do that. Like, it's inappropriate and stuff. So we, like, I remember, I think we had to, like, tell everyone. It was, like... (laughs) But it was, like, fine, because yeah. it's, like, whatever, this is some, like, s- social whatever. I mean, I guess, like, I don't want to say it's not, like, the, uh, let's just say, like, some people took it more seriously than others, <laughs> and I... And you were not one of those people? I think I could be grouped in with the people who didn't take it as seriously. <laughs> and, which is weird, because I was, ended up being, like, an officer. Mm. <laughs> wow. I think I was secretary then too like yeah yeah into secretary roles so you're in austin texas after leaving pearland you've fallen in love Mm -hmm. and it sounds like you were seeking out a lot of like social um social organizations and socialized social groups to kind of like connect with other um lgbtq people Mm -hmm. in your life um, and then you switched majors. So you went from evolutionary biology to textiles. Yeah. And it was like fashion design. Yeah. Geared stuff. So tell, tell us about fashion. How did that happen? Um, so. Oh, I remember. My boyfriend at the time was roommates with my friend Caden Ho. Mm. Mm-hmm. And um, we met. Uh-huh. And I don't know, I kind of like always thought we would be friends, but I was like, I don't know, she's like really like outgoing and like fun and like wild Uh and I'm like Uh really I I would consider myself like more reserved Mm -hmm. and like I guess like interested in like doing fun social things but Mm -hmm. like 
I just like didn't have the whatever the wherewithal to go out and like do those things as much yeah and um we became friends I guess like just through being in the same circles and stuff yeah and then I realized that like my life was like just not heading in the direction of like of um science yeah as like a profession Mm. and um Kaden was always really into like fashion and I remember like (laughs) like seeing like (laughs) McQueen and stuff for the first time and being like so fascinated by that and then I started to do like my own search of like other designers and like I remember I was like so into like Hussein Cheyenne Mm. and like um I guess, like, more, like, minimal designers, too, yeah. that were, like, anti-fashion yeah. designers, like, Ray Kawakubo, and uh-huh. then, like, I, he's not minimal, I guess, but, like, Yoji Yamamoto, right. and, like, I got really into, like, Japanese fashion, oh, right. and, like, right. started to just see all this imagery, and, like, started to buy magazines, and, like, yeah. realized, like, whoa, I need to be in a creative, on a creative path. And, like, that was scary for me because, like, I knew that my family would probably have, like, something to to say about it. And um, when I told my mom I was changing my my major, she was like, okay, well, what are you going to do for work? What kind of job are you going to get? And I was like, mom, there's, it's a giant industry. I can get a job doing anything I want in fashion. How old were you? I was... 20 okay um i think yeah yeah and she was like okay well if you can work it out with your like schedule and like classes and getting all your credits and everything and since i did um since there were a lot of overlapping like classes and i did like community college stuff before i moved i see or before i went to school like in the summers Mm -hmm. um before I went to school in Austin. Yeah. I had, like, some other credits, so I yeah. ended up having to... I did stay another semester, but um, I was able to, like, get it together and, like, graduate. Um, but, like, during that time when I switched, that's when, like... Um, that Yeah, I met Kaden, and we got really close, and then I met my other friend, Juju, mm-hmm. um, and then I met you. Mm. Through someone that we both worked for. Yeah. Um, what were you doing at that time? I was. I I think I I was like, one semester into like, changing my. Um, path. Mm. In school. Mm-hmm. So it was kind of like fresh and new, and I was like trying different like ways to style myself and yeah. was like um still really into like pop stuff yeah and i remember like um listening to still like a lot of like britney spears and like lady gaga 
and um, stylistically, I think like I was definitely like in that realm of like flamboyant. Mm, flamboyant. I don't, I don't know what how I would describe it. Like I was yeah. dyeing my hair constantly, like different colors. Wow. I think I had dyed hair when I met you. Oh, yeah. Probably. Uh huh. Um, and yeah, because I would have been so confident as to offer to dye your hair, which we tried that and (laughs) I did a really bad job of, you did a really terrible job. (laughs) Um, and so, yeah, I didn't, I was like figuring out my shit. Yeah. And, um, what, which shit just like who I was. And yeah. Like what, yeah. What my like outward presentation was. Yeah. Like what I liked to do yeah. and what I didn't like to do. And, um, I was really into Tumblr at that time too. Oh wow, okay. Yeah. So like around 2010, I think, 2009. Yeah. That's when I started using Tumblr. Did you meet a lot of people on Tumblr? <clears throat> yeah, I I had a lot of Tumblr friends. Yeah. And I felt it was this weird situation. It was like fashion-y kind of like mm-hmm. friends, and I was in this weird place where I felt like I was accepted yeah um and it also felt like if I'm being honest like I like I was part of a clique yeah like this like group of people that are like you you know that like these people are like communicate with like these other people frequently or like our online yeah. communicating with one another yeah. and like you could go back and forth with like replying to stuff and like reposting things right. and like it, it felt like a, a click in like yeah. a school or something yeah. um, which like I had never really felt right. like I was a part of something like that before wow to so to to um to experience that I was like wow this is that's nice. Yeah. Um, and then I think like as I started to get older and, and like started to meet more people in real life, like yeah. my that feeling kind of started to go away. Mm. Um, and I was like more invested in like the people that I knew in real life. Yeah. Um, so going back to being in Austin and then as well as being on Tumblr, did you feel that... Texas and did you still feel this sense of being uh, limited in how you could express yourself in a place like Austin versus the way you would express yourself online? Um, yeah. Mm. Um, you know, walking around where I lived in, um, West campus, that's where I've lived most of my college experience like yeah. after moving out of the dorms which is situated near yeah it's to the, the west campus. of yeah the main campus okay um and i lived in a couple places around there 
and walking around, you know, it's like hot. So you want to wear like clothes that are suitable for hot weather Mm -hmm. and like short shorts and like, uh, tank tops and Mm -hmm. like, uh, sleeveless shirts and stuff like that. Yeah. 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 And I remember like frequently like being harassed, like, yeah, like, guys in cars driving by and being like faggot and like wow you know stuff like that happened a lot right um luckily in texas i never had any situation where i was like attacked in the street yeah um but i heard that was common yeah from like my friends and stuff and um so, yeah, I think I definitely, like, limited the way that I was wanting to really express myself with my presentation because of, like, this fear of, like, being unsafe. Yeah. In the places where I lived. What did feeling unsafe feel like in Texas? Um... Was it, like, the politic? Was it... A fear of some sort of like action. Yeah, I guns. mean, guns. Um, yeah, in Texas, I guess like you have it in your mind that like it's possible that people have guns with them, and mm-hmm. you, it's like legal to conceal carry. Yeah, yeah. So like anyone could feasibly have a gun with them in a hidden place. Yeah. Um, that's intense. Yeah. But I guess like I had less of, of a fear of, of being shot Mm -hmm. and more of a fear of like being beaten up in the street. Yeah. Um, and, um, I think that that fear never really went away, which is, like, one of the main reasons why I decided I wanted to move to New York. Okay. Because I thought that I might experience, have a better experience or, like, less feeling of that type of fear right. when I moved here. Um, so then you finished school. You graduated. Yeah. Um, what did you graduate with? I graduated with a degree in... Um, textiles and apparel. Okay. Um, and like, actually like during that last year though, a lot of like really traumatic things happened that, um, contributed to me feeling more fearful. Yeah. For my safety. Yeah. Um, I, I was held up at a bank once. And that was, like, scary because, you know, someone with a gun standing in the, the, with the teller right next to you pointing a gun at you. You know, it's, like, scary. Um, And then I had another situation. Sorry. Um, Where someone in my friend group ended up being um, a serial rapist and um, ended up murdering someone who was well known in in circles 
social circles that I was in. Um, wow. So the move to New York was a really intense one for you? Yeah. And, and we had a, also a difficult time mm. as well in our mm. friendship, I think, that, that year. Yeah. Um, for a number of different reasons. Yeah. And um, it had been my, my goal to come to New York to get a job in fashion because yeah. I, I figured that's the place where it is. I, I had visited New York one time before. Yeah. And when I came here, I knew that, like, oh, I have to be here. Yeah. I took a class where, like, Iris Apfel was the guest professor. Oh, my God. And she was, like, really into how wacky I dressed and, like, <laughs> how I, like, I dyed my hair in the middle of the class. And she, like, I remember one of my professors got angry about it and thought it was, like, inappropriate. And then, like, Iris loved it. And she was like, you have blue hair now. This is exciting. Whatever. And um, so that, like, was affirming for me that, like, I needed to be in this place where, like, wacky hair and, like, big jewelry. like And, like, wacky clothes was, like something that was like celebrated or something wow um so yeah I had this idea already that like I wanted to move here and work here um in New York but then like all this other stuff that was going on in my life I felt like also pushed me more in that direction right I was like I can't deal with a lot of stuff that's happening in my my life yeah anyway Mm -hmm. so I'm doing it now and so I moved right after I graduated I graduated in December of 2012 Mm -hmm. and moved here January 3rd yeah 2013 so it was like a couple weeks later I moved after leaving yeah um what was your first year in New York like where did you move to what what borough um I moved to Bed-Stuy. Okay. And, um, I had a rocky first year. Yeah. Um, I knew a couple people, like, I, I had, like, Tumblr friends who lived here. Yeah. That I, oh, well, I also had my ex who lived here who, like, that was another thing. Um someone who was like a significant like one of my like first loves like yeah I also like had a brief relationship with him the year before I I left so that was like I see whatever but he ended up going to school and living in New York so okay he was here we were on like kind of friendly terms so Mm -hmm. we started to like hang out my first year here and um It was, like, this time when I was really depressed. I was thinking a lot about my gender identity. And, like, like, it was, like, the time about the time that I was moving or, like, when I was graduating, like, somewhere in 2012, I remember questioning my gender a lot and, like, thinking a lot about 
just like who I was and and I remember seeing um, through Tumblr that there were a lot of um, trans people in New York. Yeah, that was another thing I think that like drew, drew me to New York that there were a lot of like queer and trans people here. And I was like, okay, I'm gonna come be here. And I like met a few trans people my first year moving here. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was like kind of like pushing, I felt like that was like pushing me in the direction of like understanding my own gender identity. Um, but I was very depressed. I, I wasn't eating a lot. Um, I, I was doing this job that I, I didn't really like because I, I didn't really feel like it was exactly what I wanted to be doing. Um, I, I started working for, I first started interning for a costume designer Yeah. and, um, was making I made like a couple dresses for RuPaul's Drag Race. Oh wow. And this was like 2013, right? So right. like it was a big thing but not what it is now. Like it I think at, at that point it was like starting to become a global phenomenon, but right. back then it was more like really big in big cities and stuff like mm. in New, in New York is mm-hmm. big, but maybe not I, I don't know. I don't know what the demographic is, mm-hmm. actually. So, yeah. Um, I was working for that costume designer, um, did some projects there, um, interned for a few, a couple months, and then, like, he hired me as, like, an assistant, whatever, there. Yeah. And um, that was my first taste of, like, working in a work room um with like machine sewing machines and like cutting tables and right um did it feel glamorous yeah I think in a way it did because I think where where it was located the studio was like in uh, Chelsea Mm -hmm. or it was like on 23rd and Mm -hmm. like 10th Avenue yeah so it was like right underneath the um, what's it called? Sky, what? Well, no. High, the that big uh, Highline. Highline. <laughs> it was right underneath the Highline, so like, you could go to these like glamorous lunch places, get their <laughs> lunch special, and go eat like on the Highline. Yeah. And I was like, spending time with these people who were like, um, I I thought were like kind of glamorous people um the people that you worked with yeah yeah like one was like everyone was like a creative person on their own yeah um the there was like this so there was just like this feeling that I was like I'm in New York I'm working in New York right I'm like around people who have like style Mm -hmm. this is so like exciting in in this way Mm -hmm. and um but I really wasn't happy with the work that I was doing Mm. um why I think I quickly like became 
disillusioned with this idea of like work being glamorous Mm, in New York. Yeah. In fashion or in like costuming and stuff like, like the, um, it's just a lot of, I don't know. I think maybe I was I was wanting to do something more on my own and if I couldn't do that, I didn't want to do something that was like creatively like re- related. Like I didn't want to work using my own creative abilities and skills. Mm-hmm. Um when it wasn't my I like when I wasn't going to be coming up with like the original ideas, it was like I had to make someone else's idea look good right. through like good design. Right. And I, I didn't want to like use that brain power in that yeah. way. So I ended up working for this um, factory. Yeah. That, um, that produced samples and production for um, a bunch of different, like, New York design labels. Mm -hmm. And um, it was super not glamorous. (laughs) It was, you know, a a factory setting. Um, all, All day it was, like, machines whirring. You had to wear comfortable clothes every... It was extremely hectic. Yeah. Uh, I was, like, on the phone constantly. Yeah. Calling and emailing people. Yeah. Coordinating with designer production teams to to get their things cut and sewn and mm-hmm. ready to ship wow. to stores and stuff. Wow. Um, so really stressful. But in my mind, I was like, this is really at least like at least this is I'm not pretending like I'm participating in this like fake glamour or something like I'm just doing this work to get this done and I felt like no creative involvement so that felt really like I was really fine with that um and did it feel less like uh creatively like did it feel less exploitative of your creative capacity and creative labor? Yeah, I wasn't using any of my creative labor really at all. What was the, how did you identify the labor that you were doing at the factory? Um, it was a lot of coordinating. Mm. So for pro- like fashion production, um, it was really like, a lot of checking patterns to make sure they could be cut. Yeah. Um, making sure you had all of the fabrics and yeah. trims there yeah. so that they could be cut and they could be sewn Yeah. without um, a pause in, in the work. Wow. Cause, so anytime you had thread or zippers missing, 
you you're stopping the work and when you're not giving or when you're not getting what you need uh, like as a production coordinator you're just kind of like scrambling all the time to get what you need and like this was with like seven different companies so it was like constant like scrambling so I felt like it was just very um I, I don't know like coordinating type yeah. work um I wasn't sewing I wasn't cutting I was wow. I was just like sort of um getting the things from designers and giving it to um like the cutters and sewers and stuff who were the people that you were working with um like the the designers and stuff no the people in the factory um they were um a lot of people who um were immigrants mm. um there there was a lot of like language barrier between me and um well okay so all all of the cutters um their first language is Spanish. Mm -hmm. And so there were some things that I could speak with them about, like Mm -hmm. as it pertained to like work, Mm. because I took a a bunch of Spanish courses Mm -hmm. in high school. Mm -hmm. Um, And most, most of the sewers um, spoke Chinese, spoke, Mm. um, well, some spoke Mandarin, some spoke Cantonese. Mm-hmm. Um, so there was like a huge um, communication, like language barrier. Yeah. Um, and it was very like our communication was like, um, you know, cut three. Mm-hmm. And then I would have like write on a piece of paper with a picture of the style Mm-hmm. and give it to like a sewer the number of each in each style so they mm-hmm. know how many things to make I see yeah. um, and there was one one sewer who was um, she spoke more English than um, most of the others mm-hmm. and so I would communicate with her a lot um if I, if there was like something that was not easy to understand, yeah, something like related to the type of finishing required, right. yeah, yeah, and we yeah. would like need samples there to look at yeah. them. So like, there was a lot of um, just like very. Um, straightforward communication that had um like i i didn't feel much like personal connection to people because we couldn't communicate very well yeah um so yeah it was a kind of that was a, a strange thing for me yeah um 
and I'm sure like strange for all of them too. Yeah. Um, Cause you had gone from working in a really glamorous workplace, designing dresses for RuPaul, then to a factory in which you describe it being the opposite of glamor and completely unattached to glamor. Mm-hmm. Did, were you able to, or were you seeking out ways to express yourself in the factory? Um, yeah, I think whenever I first started working in the factory, um, and when there was like larger pieces of fabric being thrown away, yeah, that's when I started my thing that I still do today of like scavenging scavenging and like getting old things from the trash or like things that are being discarded Wow! and like starting I that's when I started to make my own things oh wow okay. um and uh I started to have my own collections wow what was your first collection like um my very first one when I moved here uh-huh was it was in 2013 and um it was all like um it was the same kind of thing I'm doing now like it was pieces of old thing like I used pieces of a flag mm-hmm. it was like this bleached American flag mm-hmm. that I stitched together with some like netting from another shirt that I had wow, and like okay old denim that I had and I I got some like silicone and like made silicone dipped garments wow um and I got some stuff just like from anywhere that I could and um actually my my ex modeled the first collection when I photographed it and um yeah so that was um that kind of went on for another year or so I think I had like two collections like that Mm. And then my, oh, I got laid off at the factory. Oh, wow. Yeah. Was it sudden? Yes. No Um, announcement? No. Wow. It was, I, I, it was, I think at lunchtime, my boss came out to me and she said, today's your last day. Oh, wow. And it was a Friday. And I remember I freaked out. Yeah. And, um, I called a bunch of friends who lived in New York and one person got back to me saying that there was a job opening where she worked. Mm-hmm. And, um, it was this place in Long Island City for mm-hmm. this design label that was like a fur and evening gown um brand and they needed a production coordinator wow okay so i 
came in for an interview on the, the following Monday. So yeah. it was like very fast, like not having a job or having a job, not having a job over the weekend <laughs> and then interviewing for a job on Monday. Wow. And then I started working that week. Wow. So it was like really like this is meant to be or something yeah. like this is so lucky that never happens in New York. I mean, maybe it does, I guess, but, um, so what was the furrier like the, the fur designer working there? Um, it was another situation where I was not in a creative role. Mm-hmm. Um, and there was like, um, it was, there was a lot of tension. It felt like between almost everybody in the workroom in the studio, it was this big studio in Long Island, Long Island city where it was like the gowns and like that kind of design stuff and production was upstairs. And then downstairs was the furrier. Uh-huh. So I never was like really involved with the fur stuff. I was like only there for the gowns and everything like that. Yeah. Um, Who were the clientele? Um, very like extremely wealthy, um, people in New York. Um, we had a lot of, um, there were a couple like clients, um, from Hong Kong, Mm -hmm. like very wealthy people in Hong Kong. Uh, very wealthy people from like Qatar mm-hmm. and Saudi Arabia mm-hmm. and London. Uh-huh. So just like extremely wealthy people um, who needed gowns for whatever event they needed it for. Yeah. Um, that included like balls and birthdays wow. and um, weddings. How much could they pay? Um, I I saw receipts that were up to a million dollars sometimes. Wow. That that was rare, but right. like I I do remember seeing it because coats are hundreds of thousands of dollars for coats wow. can be that expensive. Wow. And these gowns were between like, you know, like. 15 to 80,000 dollar gown. Wow, so extremely expensive. Yes, and the there was they were always like the finest fabrics and really um a, a ton of beading. That was like the thing that I had to coordinate the most. Mm. Um a lot of I had to coordinate with a lot of beading companies mm. that were based the factories were based in India. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it was like very not creative. Um, and there was like a lot of, a lot of, um, yeah, I guess like the, the tension was like very, a normal part of work. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was l- slower paced than like the factories were. Uh-huh. And like some people, we're just like 
I don't know. It, it almost didn't feel like a real job sometimes for, or like what I had in my mind at yeah. the time. Cause it, it was like glamorous in this way where like we knew that there was like all these rich clients coming and like buying stuff and that like the designer was like designing all this like glamorous stuff. And we saw all the, the creation of these samples that were like, maybe not my style, but like obviously very like glamorous items. Yeah. Um, and like very expensive stuff. So yeah. it felt like glamorous in this way that was like unattainable or like not really in my realm of like understanding yeah. of like, I don't know. Um, it, it definitely felt more glamorous than the last job I had in the factory. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I worked there for almost four years, I think. Wow. Yeah. Three, three years and some change or something. Yeah. Um, and were you still producing collections while you were working there? Yes. And, um, when I was working there is when I met my friend Serena Jara, mm-hmm. who, um, I mean, we'll joke about it, how, like, one day I, she, like, told me, I, I think you're a woman, and I, I was like, yeah, I think you're right, and then it was like, the next week I was going to Aperture to do like the trans oh. um, health orientation thing. Well, what's Aperture? Um, Asian Pacific Island community health association. Uh-huh. Okay. Yeah. So it was a place that you knew that you could find access trans yes, healthcare. Yes, because Serena went there. Okay for her health care and um I called uh well it was funny because like she and I met because we both dated the same guy okay and um yeah we ended up like I think talking about him and that's like our first like bonding experience where like I asked her to photograph because um, the ex was also like helping with this shoot with one of my collections. Mm-hmm. I asked her to photograph cause her photos are really cool. Mm-hmm. And then like, um, the ex, I, I can like name people, right? I've been doing it. Mm-hmm. Um, Ben Sands, <laughs> he, I, for whatever reason, he wasn't there anymore. Um, and, uh, it was this shoot that was like really important for me. Um, it was this collection where I had asked, um, um, some people that I thought were really cool and like, just like people that I looked up to mm-hmm. in the trans community, mm-hmm. um, to model for. Um, one of them was Hari Neff, mm-hmm. and she 
modeled for the lookbook. And um, the other was Juliana Huxtable. Yeah. And um, it was, it was something, I think like working with all these trans women. Yeah. It made me really like, I'm like, oh, this is just, this is just how I'm going to live my life. You know, like it was, mm. it was very like kind of sudden. Wow. Like all of these like feelings that were confusing to me in the past yeah. years, just like really condensed into this like very like um, palpable pathway that wow, yeah. I like saw for myself. And, like, Serena and I started talking, and she was like, yeah, I think you're a woman. And I was like, yeah, I think you're right. And she was like, and I think you, you know, if you want to, you should go to Apache. Here is the phone number for Cecilia Gentili. She works there and is the Mm. head of the trans health program there. Wow. So I got her number, and I remember before I called, I went, it was on a lunch break at work in Long Island City mm-hmm. and I was like so nervous I was like what am I doing like this is crazy like what's gonna happen am I gonna get on hormones yeah what's going on um and um this was like right after one of my collections I think yeah the the fall after like one of my collections or something uh-huh and um, I called her, and um, she was like, "This is Cecilia Gentili," and I was like, I, "She, I don't remember because I was so nervous." Um, but she will always like joke about it because she and I are very close now. Um, that I was like totally like she could barely understand what I was saying because I was speaking so softly and was like shaking, and and she was like, "What?" like what what did you say <laughs> but I like I, I was so nervous I don't even remember I think I, I just like for, forgot what that conversation was and she was just like come to the orientation yeah just come to the orientation and I went to the next available one I think I did my blood work there that same day and then like was on hormones like a week later or something wow. like that and um yeah so that's when things started to change a lot at yeah. work in my Ooh. life with okay with my creative work yeah um yeah so this was like 2014 yeah i was like now i know what i need to do mm-hmm. i need to make clothes for trans women wow because that wasn't seeing I, I saw a lot of trans models and a lot of like cis men cis gay men specifically designing clothes and having trans women model them and I was like well I need to make clothes for trans women that are made by a trans woman. Wow. Okay. Um, and I didn't really have this clear, like, 
way of accomplishing that. Yeah. Um, I didn't know what the hell I was going to do. Yeah. I didn't, I like didn't have money. Yeah. So I, I was really, um, confused about like the business side yeah. and ha- had, was confused about that for probably, I don't know, like three years of running it. Yeah. Um, where, when I didn't make any money at all and it was like only through other work that I made money. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I started just doing, making a lot of work with Serena I would make clothes and Serena would photograph them on myself and on her. And we had this like really, I thought it was like a really exciting relationship that, I mean, we still have, um, we haven't worked together in a while, Mm -hmm. but, um, I think that was like probably some of my first work where I really felt like. I was, um, really putting out there what I felt was really me and like my work. Yeah. Um, so you're designing clothes for trans women. mm -hmm. You've started hormones. Mm -hmm. Workplace stuff began to shift for you. Mm Mm-hmm. In what direction? Um, I started to notice that people started to treat me differently. Mm. Um, I started changing the way that I dressed. I, Mm. I wasn't, I didn't wear pants ever anymore. Only like skirts and dresses. Yeah. And I, um, started wearing makeup all the time. Mm. I started growing my hair out. Yeah. Um, and I noticed the people I was working with, not, not everyone, mm-hmm. I would say like half of the people I started working with, um, specifically, I think the men that I served, that I was working with, they stopped listening to me, mm. um, which was frustrating because communication was the most important part of my job being in production Mm -hmm. um you know like they wouldn't believe me when I said things Mm -hmm. about like anything yeah scheduling Mm -hmm. just like facts about Mm -hmm. the um resources Mm -hmm. and like the cost of things timing like everything was just like people started to question um, whether or not I had the right answer. Um, That's just like something I, I noticed immediately. Yeah. Um, And then also there were a lot of, a a lot of the men that were the furriers. um, Not a lot, like a, a handful started to like cat call me and um i like had gotten really fed up with it and and started talking to um 
like the, the cis women that worked in the office because there were a lot of cis women who worked where I was working upstairs with the fashion stuff. Mm-hmm. And I asked them what their experiences were and like what they thought. And they were like, yeah, those, that happens a lot. Like I just like, basically like they were all like, yeah, I just like tell them to like fuck off or like, mm-hmm. like ignore them or whatever. Yeah. And I was like feeling really fed up with it one day and like decided to talk to HR about it. And, um, he told me that I misunderstood what was happening and that I, um, was receiving compliments and I should be thankful. Wow. Um, which is a wild thing to hear from HR. Yeah. Um, so yeah, like stuff like that started to change Mm -hmm. and then stuff in my life outside of work changed where I like the way that I was dating changed. Like there are just like all these cis men that were suddenly in my dating pool that Mm -hmm. I was really not prepared for. Mm -hmm. I don't know if like anyone could be prepared for that. Um, and just like, you know, a lot of, stuff from like men like just saying stuff on the streets and you know like Mm -hmm. normal stuff that's like um was just like new for me right um and by normal stuff you mean harassment yeah nor like which is normal right right so um I was beginning to experience that in a way that was different from before where it would be like faggot or something. Mm. And this time it would be, or now it was like more like people like men wanting to get to know me to get my number. Mm. And then maybe like realizing I'm trans and becoming angry or doing whatever kinds of things that are like different for um, for me, uh, yeah. um, and the way that I was like presenting yeah. myself compared to how I had been in my life before. Yeah. Um, what was happening in your social life? I started to have a lot more f- femme friends, I mm-hmm. think. Um, and I I think that's still true today. Like most of my friends are cis and trans women. Uh I mean, I I have men in my life too, but, (laughs) um, I would say that like the majority of my friends are, um, femmes and women. Um... So, yeah, I started to also, I guess, like, I, I started to go to, like, femme parties, mm, like, femme like geared parties. Like, I remember going to Spectrum when it was still off of the Montrose L Yeah, station. what was that like? Um, it was, like, 
I don't know. Like, I guess I always saw the space as, like, kind of this, like, dingy, like, grimy, sweaty spot where mm-hmm. you knew that you were going to have a good time because, like, there usually were, like, good DJs. Mm-hmm. Um, and, like, it was just, like, a place that was, like, small and you always sweaty so you knew that you were gonna get like sweaty and gross so you didn't care as much about like looks or whatever I mean I would still want to be in a look but like I wanted to dance and so like I remember Serena and I did that a lot out Um, partying yeah and there was there was a time when we used to like yeah just like go out all the time every every weekend during the week sometimes um what was going on in nightlife in new york at the time um what was going it was like oh my gosh there was like parties like oh my you know like like top eight was like a thing Mm. when i first came here um I remember going to like, oh, I remember going to like ghetto gothic a few times and like going to, um, um, I guess like, I I remember going to like Juliana Huxtable's parties and like, Mm -hmm. um, what was the scene like? Um, a lot of queer people, a lot of queer people of color specifically, Mm -hmm. a lot of like, but then also like a lot of like cis white gay men. Mm -hmm. Um, what areas were they situated in socially? Um, were they all fashion people? It was, I, I feel like it probably, but I, when I was really like partying and stuff, I wasn't really aware of who were fashion people and who weren't fashion Mm, people. mm It, I feel like it was more like party, like nightlife people, Mm -hmm. um, in those spaces that I like was, was, um, interacting with. Yeah. And, um... Was it glamorous? Um, I felt glamorous. Yeah. I, that was like, I think that's when I first started to understand this part of myself that got really excited when I saw someone in a good look. Mm. and then it also realizing that that gave me so much yeah life made me want to also have looks for like my friends yeah and I think I still live that way today like yeah like I get into looks because I want to but also I I like dressing up for my friends and like I, I like seeing them in looks yeah and yeah, so it just, like, I just try to return that. Yeah. Um, 
so yeah, I, I think that's when I first started to really feel like the sense of like, I could be glamorous. Mm. Um, were you dressing up in your own designs? Sometimes. Yeah. Um, most of the time I was wearing stuff that was like from the dollar store that I changed to be like a little more slutty, (laughs) a lot more slutty. And then like pairing it with like, I, all of the like references from my childhood started to like rush into my brain. Mm -hmm. Once I realized that I was like a trans woman, I was like, okay, here is actually all this stuff that I always had access to in my mind that I never let myself because I was so like repressed. So like I started to think about glamour in ways that like, like what were, what were my first like what experiences with like fashion and beauty and stuff and and like I remember thinking a lot about like um like oh Baz Luhrmann movies like mm. Moulin Rouge and mm. um Romeo plus Juliet he did that right. Yeah, Baz Luhrmann did that. Yeah. And then, like, I remember... I guess it was, like, Chicago was a huge thing for me. Like, 20s (laughs) glamour that, like, I never really experienced before. Yeah. And, like, music videos with, like, all these pop icons that I had always been into. I was like, oh, maybe there's a reason why. Like, I just, like, connected with these looks and, like, this feeling that they're giving off that I want to now embody yeah like driving in your sister's car yeah yeah Mm -hmm. yeah and also like my sister too and like my mom like I um my sister always had this way of doing her makeup that was always very simple but always like very put together and that was Mm. like very inspiring for me yeah the way that she like i I think before it was like really popular again in like the 2010s she always emphasized her brows Mm. and like did her brows in a very like full and sharp way Mm -hmm. that was like really inspiring to me and like she always would wear lipstick too in like Mm reds and like bright berries and tones and stuff Mm -hmm. and she just like for some reason that like blew my mind that like this like confidence that that kind of thing gives yeah like wow you're really doing that brow and you're really doing that lip you know like yeah and um my mom I just like started to think a lot about her when I was a kid seeing her dress up for for work and for like Halloween too Um, and I remember like she would have her foundation on like this, like full coverage, even though she had great skin, Mm -hmm. not that you need to have any kind of skin to have full coverage foundation, but she had great skin would have like this full coverage foundation so much like blush as like contour. Wow. Yeah. And like, um, eye pencil a thin brow yeah and like a taupey um 
nude kind of lip. Mm. And like, I, I thought a lot about like these makeup looks and like, yeah. my mom was like into costume jewelry. She would sometimes wear like costume earrings and yeah. stuff like that. I always had her nails done. So I remember like I decided I wanted to get acrylics because I wanted to like feel that because yeah. I had never done that before. Wow. So like all these references like mm. of glamour to me like started rushing in. Wow. And I started like participating in those things more. Makeup, clothes, accessories, mm-hmm. hair. Mm-hmm. Wow. So at this point, you're going out a lot, you're partying with your friends, you're exploring glamour. What was going on with um, the clothing that you were producing? Um, You've decided that you wanted to make clothes for trans women. So mm -hmm. what was your, what was like the collection in which things really took off for you? I think it was... Well, I don't know. So, like, took off in one way, like, the the collection I did in 2014 for, like, fall, fall of the, that, the end of that year, um, I think it took off for me with, like, stylists. Mm, okay. Because, like, people, like that were previously like not paying attention to me as much uh -huh. who I feel like are the people who are into like young designers mm -hmm. or were at the time they started to like see me and started to ask to pull my stuff and I was like okay sure yeah meaning borrow your clothes for photo shoots yeah yeah so that was a collection where I was the only model right um and I just like had different makeup and different like hair and stuff in yeah. the looks and yeah. I, it's like I think it's hidden on my on my website you can't even go look for it if you, you could probably find it somewhere but it, it wasn't like being it wasn't published anywhere wow um except for on my tumblr wow so it's very like underground yeah and um but it it was I think something that drove me forward because I got such a good uh, response from these like stylists who I thought were like cool stylists. Yeah. Um, and then after that, um, the following year in 2015, I decided I was going to do a, um, resort collection mm -hmm. on the beach. Mm. And Serena and I did that together. We, um, I, I casted all the people, um, I think it was like 10 looks or so, like mm -hmm. not very many looks mm -hmm. and it was all like kind of swimwear and they were all, um, like trans women who I had met over the past like half a year or yeah. so. Um, and it was kind of wild because, um, We asked people to come to the beach in Rockaway, Rockaway Beach mm -hmm. to model. And, you know, it was like, yeah, we're going to like hang out there too. Like it's the beach and then we'll like take a picture and then that's 
like it really like but it was obviously much more it would be much more than that like yeah. it's a whole production like even though it was just Serena and I doing it yeah and me with my duffel bag full of like looks mm-hmm. it was still like so much like and it was just like wild to me like I didn't have any money I made the stuff the same way I have been which is like out of scraps and stuff so like it's I didn't even like have a budget to make clothes and like all of these trans women really like came through and showed up to model for this this brand that I like had just started what was the brand called um it it um is just my name Gogo Graham mm. and um that um it was just a really wild day Serena was was sick mm. but she wanted to push through anyway so she was running around she also modeled in it too mm. um she was running around with a camera getting like sand in her camera making the some amazing photos that I still look back on as like some of the most important work that I have done, I think just because it was like the first time. And yeah. Um, also like we both knew that there weren't any like fashion labels out there that were, was made by trans women for trans women. So it was really like, by the end of the day, I remember we were both kind of like, we were so exhausted and like everyone else had left and like, there was like a little beach moment where everyone was relaxing and whatever, but you know, we were still like working up until the very end. Everyone left. The last photo we took, it was at night because we wanted to get Serena and her look. So there's like one photo that's like at night. Wow. Um, and we were so exhausted. Serena was like sick and feeling shitty But we both, like, were sitting on the train, coming home, like, on the A train and Mm -hmm. being like, wow, what we just did, like, that, this is going to be something. And, like, we don't know exactly, like, are you okay? Bless you. Um, We don't know what it's going to lead to, but, like, personally, this is very significant for both of us. Like, we've, we've both never done work like this before. We've both never done this whole thing that was, like, produced and completely centered around trans women. Wow. By trans women. So that was, like, very, like, exciting for us. And, you know, like, it was this new thing that, like, we both weren't really sure what was, what the right thing to do was. And, you know, like, I didn't pay anyone, so obviously that's not the right thing to do. Um, So, like it was like this weird situation where I was like, Oh, I don't know what to do next, but whatever, let's try to publish it somewhere. And then ID ended up picking up this story about Mm. like the brand and they published the looks. And I remember like the headline was like, is Gogo Graham the first true trans fashion line? Wow. And like, I think since then things have, that's when things really started to take off with like media and everything. Wow. What is your relationship with media? Um, complicated. Yeah. Um, 
when I didn't know how to protect myself from, mm. from the media, I was, I quickly became really tired, weary, like really over, over it with the media. I, the, the kinds of questions that I would be asked constantly were just like inappropriate, um, like very what? like, well, just stuff that had a lot to do with my transition and not mm. something to do with my work. Mm. Um, or were like very like prodding fetishistic questions from like these cis journalists to understand what like trans bodies and life is like, even though that's something that's obviously on a individual Mm. basis. And they wanted me to explain all of those like details to them. Yeah. When it's like, I, I can't, I'm one person with my experience. Um, and I would get just like questions that were like, I remember, um, I had an interview where I had to kick the, the, uh, the journalist out. Um, and this was like a time when I almost decided in 2016, when I decided I almost didn't want to do the brand anymore, um, because I, I couldn't take it with the media. I was asked like what my real name was and I was like I told you what my name is why are you asking what my quote unquote real name is like she was like oh well this was someone from Women's Wear Daily who was doing a feature on me and a couple other um, brands which are now have a very big following Mm. um and um, I explained why that was inappropriate, mm-hmm. and she didn't care, and I asked her to leave, mm. and um, it ended up hurting my career because they cut me from the story. Wow! Because I stood up for myself, you know. Yeah. And um, that was a really hard time for for like my relationship with the press, and now I just know not to trust the press. Mm. And now I know that I need to, like, just be very clear, have very, very clearly defined boundaries about what I'm willing to answer and what I'm not willing to answer. Yeah. And also, like, understanding that I don't need to be nice to them or polite if they're being rude or awful to Mm. me. Um, And that's and that that's okay. Yeah. Does Uh, it feel harassing? The questions that press and media people um, ask you I think it, it used to mm-hmm. now I think there's been a big shift in like this push towards trans literacy and mm. like people cis people knowing that they need to know some things within the industry just because they're working with trans people all the time because it's quite trendy to right. be like trans in this industry. Um, 
or to to um, depict trans people. Yeah, it's trendy. Yeah. Um, and by trendy, you mean it's going to go away? Well, I mean, I don't know, but I will say that I I do see. I don't know. I don't think I can say. Mm. But the trends of of a, an industry are going to be what suits the market that they are seeking to capitalize off of. I see. So um, you feel like Kurt... So it will it will change based on that the market. Wow. I think in any industry. Yeah. Within um, our contemporary capitalist economic climate. Yeah. Do Do you feel that your brand has been monetarily successful? Um, not by anyone in the industry's standards meaning um i mean i i barely make enough to to um cover my own overhead Mm -hmm. basically rent yeah i barely make enough to sustain myself and um i don't make enough to 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 pay people what i think they should be paid um, the only thing I think that's different now is I understand that I need to um, ask for sponsorship for for things. Mm-hmm. Um, but no, not it's not financially successful yeah. by anyone's standards. I think is your clothes mass produced? No, um, I make everything myself, and. Unless I have the ability to pay someone a fair wage, I will continue to only make things by myself. Mm. So everything is one of a kind. Yeah. Do you feel like you still make clothes that's glamorous? I can only tell when people put it on and tell me they feel glamorous mm. or feel they feel good in it. Mm. But I don't feel that they are glamorous. Mm. What do they feel like? They feel like An extension of of me, mm. and I don't feel like I'm inherently glamorous. Mm. But I I do feel like there's like a a connection I have with the clothes while I'm making them, and then 
once I'm finished, I, that connection is lost. Wow. I don't feel attached to the, them as, I don't feel attached to objects really. Wow. Okay. Um, but they, the work is glamorous to me if someone says that they like it and they want it and then yeah I guess that's you've since branched out from making just clothes what are some of the other things that you've been building on um well around the time when I stopped or when I had the issues with like press that I was really unable to cope with at the time um I started doing art I started doing um like sculptures and paintings and um music I I was I mean this was kind of like a not that I wouldn't do it now but um I don't see myself as like a professional DJ Mm -hmm. so I, I kind of like only pushed to do that for a year because it was a way for me to make money to, to DJ um, and, and I really enjoy DJing mm-hmm. um, but I, I think that um, yeah the um, the fashion industry not I don't know about the industry but making clothes is something I'm like most something that I feel that I'm really good at yeah um and it like makes me feel good to be good at something Mm -hmm. um so yeah I guess then I started to make jewelry and accessories Mm. um which I'm learning is like a really great um creative object that you can make um that would make a lot of, I think, a lot more people feel good mm-hmm. because it doesn't require that object to fit. Mm. Um, so, like, a handbag. Anyone, you know, like, can have a handbag and, like, yeah. not worry about it fitting properly, you know? So, like, right. and jewelry is the same way. Um, so I'm kind of, like leaning a lot in that direction yeah lately do you identify that as like an inclusivity um yeah well it's an inclusive an, an attempt to have my work be more inclusive but also um i need to make money yeah. to survive yeah and um those are the kinds of things that um sell yeah sure do you identify as an artist since you make sculptures and do paintings yes Mm. um i think if i wasn't doing fashion my ideal job would be to be an artist because to be an artist yeah, probably specifically like a painter. I really enjoy painting. Mm-hmm. And I, I feel very 
I have a really emotional experience with painting. Mm. Are there any plans for a, for a show or an exhibition? Um, none that I'm allowed to talk about <laughs> right now. Good answer. Probably something in June before. June of 2019. Mm-hmm. Before what? Before um, a surgery I'm having. Do you want to share what that is? Um, I'm having facial feminization surgery. Mm. Um, and I had a, um, I, I've had surgeries before mm-hmm. and I had a breast augmentation before and I think it's just a, a thing that I do before surgery where I, I load up my plate with a lot of different things because I'm afraid that I'll die in surgery mm. <laughs> or some wacky complications will happen and I might not be able to continue doing what I'm doing. So I just want to do them all now. Yeah. Um, so yeah. I'm throwing a fundraising party. Oh, at the end of May. Maybe. Or I guess in a week, actually. Yeah. Um, and it's hosted by and DJed by all people that I really care about. That's amazing. So it's really great to have that support. Where do you see the next several years going with your brand and your art? Um, I've never really had the gift of foresight. Mm. But I do see myself at least doing what I'm doing now, which is producing one-off things that I can sell to people. And, um, hopefully working on more paintings in the future Yeah. and collaborating with people. I, I enjoy collaborations. What do you hope to see from people who work in media when dealing with, um, when working with trans people or whether it's interviewing or in office spaces? Um, I hope that there are more trans people in those spaces. Mm. And fashion? I 
that's headed. I I don't have a, an optimistic view on the fashion industry mm. and the direction that it, whatever direction it's going. I I just it it's it's an industry and the the goal of of players in an industry is to maximize profits. Mm. So yeah, I don't know what it means to say I hope there's more trans people in these positions because it's like If there's a position of power, then it's already an unbalanced system that's not in favor of people mm. or like people's livelihoods. Mm. Um, so, yeah, I guess what I hope is that. Our economic system changes. To what? I don't know. I don't know yet. I don't feel educated enough to give a good answer on that one. Mm-hmm. Are there any last things that you want to say before we wrap up? Um, yeah, I guess I want to thank you for asking me to do this. Thank um, you. And you, in particular, have been someone that has supported my work since the beginning and I'm honored anytime we work together me too Thank you so much for speaking with us today. Best of luck with the surgery and the fundraiser. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you for having me.